I was born in Tuckahoe, near Hillsboro, and about 12 miles from Easton in Talbot County, Maryland. I have no accurate knowledge of my age, never having seen any authentic record containing it. By far the larger part of the slaves know as little of their ages as horses know of theirs, and it is the wish of most masters within my knowledge to keep their slaves thus ignorant. I do not remember to have ever met a slave who could tell of his birthday. They seldom come nearer to it than planting time, harvest time, cherry time, spring time, or fall time. A want of information concerning my own was a source of unhappiness to me, even during childhood. The white children could tell their ages. I could not tell why I ought to be deprived of the same privilege. I was not allowed to make any inquiries of my master concerning it. He deemed all such inquiries on the part of a slave improper and impertinent, and evidence of a restless spirit. The nearest estimate I can give makes me now between 27 and 28 years of age. I come to this from hearing my master say, sometime during 1835, I was about 17 years old. My mother was Harriet Bailey. She was the daughter of Isaac and Betsy Bailey, both colored and quite dark. My mother was of a darker complexion than either my grandfather or my grandmother. My father was a white man. He was admitted to be such by all I ever heard speak of my parentage. The opinion was also whispered that my master was my father, but of the correctness of this opinion, I know nothing. The means of knowing was withheld from me. My mother and I were separated when I was but an infant, before I knew her as my mother. It is a common custom in this part of Maryland from which I ran away to part children from their mothers at a very early age. Frequently, before the child has reached its 12th month, its mother is taken from it and hired out on some farm on a considerable distance off, and the child is placed under the care of an old woman, too old for field labor. For what this separation has done, I do not know, unless it is to hinder the development of the child's affection towards its mother and to blunt and destroy the natural affection of the mother for the child. This is the inevitable result. I never saw my mother to know her as such more than four or five times in my life, and each of these times was very short in duration and at night. She was hired by Mr. Stewart, who lived about 12 miles from my home. She made her journey to see me in the night, traveling the whole distance on foot after the performance of her day's work. She was a field hand, and a whipping is the penalty of not being in the field at sunrise unless a slave has a special permission from his, his or her master to the contrary. A permission which they seldom get, and one that gives to him that gives it the proud name of being a kind master. I do not recollect of ever seeing my mother by the light of day. She was with me in the night. She would lie down with me and get me to sleep, but long before I waked, she was gone. Very little communication ever took place between us. Death soon ended what little we could have while she lived, and with it her hardships and suffering. She died when I was about seven years old, on one of my master's farms near Lee's Mill. I was not allowed to be present during her illness, at her death, or burial. She was gone long before I knew anything about it. Never having enjoyed, to any considerable extent, her soothing presence, her tender and watchful care, I received the tidings of her death with much the same emotions as I should have probably felt at the death of a stranger. Called thus suddenly away, she left me without the slightest intimation of who my father was. The whisper that my master was my father 
may or may not be true. And true or false, it is of but little consequence to my purpose while the fact remains, in all its glaring odiousness, that slaveholders have ordained and by law established that the children of slave women shall in all cases follow the condition of their mothers. And this is done too obviously to administer to their own lust and make a gratification of their wicked desires profitable as well as pleasurable. For by this cunning arrangement, the slaveholder in a case is not a few, sustains to his slaves the double relation of master and father. I know of such cases, and it is worthy of remark that such slaves invariably suffer greater hardships and have more to contend with than others. They are in the first place a constant offense to their mistress. She is ever disposed to find fault with them. They can seldom do anything to please her. She is never better pleased than when she sees them under the lash, especially when she suspects her husband of showing to his mulatto children favors which he withholds from his black slaves. The master is frequently compelled to sell this class of his slaves out of deference to the feelings of his white wife. And cruel as the deed may strike anyone to be, for a man to sell his own children to human fleshmongers, it is often the dictate of humanity for him to do so. For unless he does this, he must not only whip them himself, but must stand by and see one white son tie up his brother, of but a few shades darker in complexion than himself, and ply the gory lash to his naked back. And if he lifts one word of disapproval, it is set down to his parental partiality and only makes a bad matter worse, both for himself and the slave whom he would protect and defend. Every year brings with it multitudes of this class of slaves. It was doubtless in consequence of a knowledge of this fact that one great statesman, statesman of the South predicted the downfall of slavery by the inevitable laws of population. Whether this prophecy is ever fulfilled or not, it is nevertheless plain that a very different looking class of people are springing up at the South and now are held in slavery from those originally brought to this country from Africa. And if their increase do no other good, it will do away with the force of the argument that God cursed Ham, and therefore American slavery is right. If the lineal descendants of Ham are alone to be scripturally enslaved, it is certain that slavery at the South must soon become unscriptural. For thousands are ushered into the world annually who, like myself, owe their existence to white fathers and those fathers most frequently their own masters. I have had two masters. My first master's name was Anthony. I do not remember his first name. He was generally called Captain Anthony, a title which I presume he acquired by selling a craft on the Chesapeake Bay. He was not considered a rich slaveholder. He owned two or three farms and about 30 slaves. His farms and slaves were under the control and the care of an overseer. The overseer's name was Plummer. Mr. Plummer was a miserable drunkard, a profane swearer, and a savage monster. He always went armed with a cow skin and a heavy cudgel. I have known him to cut and slash the women's heads so terribly that even Master would be enraged at his cruelty and would threaten to whip him if he did not mind himself. Master, however, was not a humane slaveholder. It required extraordinary barbarity on the part of an overseer to affect him. He was a cruel man, hardened by a long life of slaveholding. He would at times seem to take great pleasure in whipping a slave. I have often been awakened at the dawn of day by the most heartrending shrieks of an old aunt of mine, whom he used to tie up to a jost and whip upon her naked back till she was literally covered with blood. No words, no tears, no prayers, 
from his gory victim seemed to move his iron heart, from its bloody purpose. The louder she screamed, the harder he whipped. And where the blood ran fastest, there he whipped the longest. He would whip her to make her scream and whip her to make her hush. And not until overcome by fatigue would he cease to swing the blood-clotted cowskin. I remember the first time I ever witnessed this horrible exhibition. I was quite a child, but I well remember it. I shall never forget it whilst I remember anything. It was the first of a long series of such outrages, of which I was doomed to be a witness and a participant. It struck me with awful force. It was the blood-stained gate, the entrance to the hell of slavery through which I was about to pass. It was a most terrible spectacle. I wish I could commit to paper the feelings with which I beheld it. This occurrence took place very soon after I went to live with my old master and under the following circumstances. Onesta went out one night, where or for what I do not know, and happened to be absent when my master desired her presence. He had ordered her not to go out evenings and warned her that she must never let him catch her in company with a young man who was paying attention to her belonging to Colonel Lloyd. The young man's name was Ned Roberts and generally called Lloyd's Ned. Why Master was so careful of her may be safely left to conjecture. She was a woman of noble form and of graceful proportions, having very few equals and few superiors in personal appearance among the colored or white women of our neighborhood. Aunt Esther had not only disobeyed his orders in going out, but had been found in company with Lloyd's Ned, which circumstance, I found, from what he said while whipping her, was the chief offense. Had he been a man of pure morals himself, he might have been thought interested in protecting the innocence of my aunt, but those who knew him would not suspect him of any such virtue. Before he commenced whipping on Esther, he took her into the kitchen and stripped her from neck to waist, leaving her neck, shoulders, and back entirely naked. He then told her to cross her hands, calling her at the same time a horrible name. After crossing her hands, he tied them with a strong rope and led her to a stool, under a large hook in the joist, put in for the purpose. He made her get upon the stool and tied her hands to the hook. She now stood fair for his infernal purpose. Her arms were stretched out at full length so that she stood upon the ends of her toes. He then said to her, Now I'll learn you how to disobey my orders. And after rolling up his sleeves, he commenced to lay on the heavy cow skin. And soon the warm red blood amid heartrending shrieks from her and horrid oaths from him, came dripping to the floor. I was so terrified and horror-stricken at the sight that I hid myself in a closet and dared not venture out until long after the bloody transaction was over. I expected it would be my turn next. It was still all new to me. I had never seen anything like it before. I had always lived with my grandmother on the outskirts of the plantation, where she was put to raise the children of the younger women. I had therefore been, until now, out of the way of the bloody scenes that often occurred on the plantation.